I think that that's really the way life is supposed to work. Old men should teach the young men. We live in a time, my friend, where men need champions for men. You know, it all starts with integrity. A real man has integrity. You know, another measure of a man is loyalty. Man's loyal. Loyalty requires selflessness. I think that's awesome. I see some things that are happening here in America that are straight out of 1984, the book. It's important for me to be the best version of myself. You're a man living in the modern world in a time when men and manhood are not what they once were. You live life on your own terms. You're self-sufficient. You think for yourself, and you march to the beat of your own drum. When life knocks you down, you get back up, because in your gut, you know that's what men do. You're a badass and a warrior, and on the days when you forget, we are here to remind you who you really are. Welcome to the Sovereign Man Podcast. I'm your man, Nikki Ballou, and I'm here with one of the men I respect the most in the world, the one and only Chris Widener. Chris is a multiple-time New York Times best-selling author. He is someone who has shared the stage with the likes of the legendary Zig Ziglar, Jim Rohn, John Maxwell. He's also a man that spent a lot of time doing some deep thinking about the subject of manhood, masculinity. He wrote the book, The Real Man Handbook, He also used to have a podcast by that same name. He's a man who's been a pastor, and he's also the founder and creator of this incredible new program called The Freedom Tour. Chris, welcome to the show, man. Hey, Nikki. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. It's always great to be able to spend some time with you. 1,000%. 1,000%. So, Chris, um, why don't you start off uh, by sharing a bit about your backstory and your interest in subjects of manhood and masculinity for the folks listening to the show? Yeah, um, it's kind of interesting. I was raised by a bunch of women. Let's just start by saying that. Uh, (laughs) My dad died when I was four, and my brother was 13 years older than me, and he married a girl that didn't like my mom, so I hardly ever saw him. Uh, One grandfather I met once, uh, another grandfather I met a bunch of times, but he was always laying on his back with oxygen in his mouth and nose and he died. My, I didn't know my uncles very well. You know, I just basically was raised by my sisters, my mom, my grandmothers and my aunts, which has some benefits to it as a man. It's actually I, I think I understand women a little bit better maybe than the average man does. I had so much interaction with them. Uh, and so I had to really learn what it meant to be a man later on in my life through some mentors and a lot of reading and studying and colleagues and men that I really liked and respected and, and some of those kinds of things. But it's been a real journey. And, the, you know, the great thing is I'm 55 and I'm still learning, still learning about myself, still learning, uh, you know, areas I need to grow. Um, you know, I went through a divorce and, and got remarried. I had to learn what it means to be a good husband and, uh, and, and the right kind of man to be a good husband. And so it's been a great, interesting journey. Uh, I got off on a start where I didn't have in, hardly any men in my life. Uh, I didn't grow up learning how to, you know, change the oil and fix things and, you know, stuff like that. Man so, skills. Yeah, man skills, right? So, uh, so anyway, yeah, it's been an interesting journey. I think I've learned a few things along the way. I think I've helped some other people learn some things along the way. And, uh, and I'm excited to be able to be here and talk to you about it. So you're a man who uh, was raised by women and you had to seek out mentors. 
father figures, if you will, to basically learn how to be a man from them. Because as much as the women in your life loved you, they didn't know how to be a man because, well, they weren't men and they didn't have that experience. So talk a bit about that and talk about that aspect of the journey for you, because there's a lot of men who have been in the same boat, a lot of young men that currently are in that boat. Yeah. Well, you know, I think the positive to me being raised by a bunch of women is I, I understand how women think a little bit better. I don't know that men ever really figure out how women think, but, uh, <laughs> but I think I have a better understanding of it. I think I, I think I know how to speak to a women's language a little bit better. And so in that way, it was a benefit, but in terms of manliness, so to speak, the first real man that popped into my life, I was a sophomore or junior in high school. And I was going to a little Lutheran youth group. I don't even know why. I wasn't a Christian. I was involved in drugs and alcohol and all sorts of everything. But I used to go to this little Lutheran youth group in the North Bend, Washington. And they hired a youth minister who was a good old boy from Helena, Montana. His name was Sam Samuelson. And uh, and he was really good for me in two, two ways. Number one, he taught me about God. But number two, he had a size 11 cowboy boot. And that's exactly what I needed. <laughs> I needed somebody who could kick me in my butt. And I remember numerous times still, 30 something years later, I can remember him looking at me and just getting on me saying, you know what, I've invested a lot of time in you and you have so much potential and you're not living up to it. You need to learn, you need to grow, you know, and it was just really sort of man to boy. And, uh, and that was just the perfect thing for me in my, in my life at that time. Um, but over the course of the year, I've, uh, years, I've had lots of great mentors. A guy named Dr. Douglas was a professor of mine in college. Uh, right out of college, one of my first business mentors was the CEO of Mars Candies. Um, and uh, uh, just a, a lot of people, um, a dear friend of mine who, you know, I don't know how to call him a mentor. We're essentially the same age. But as you get older, you become friends with really great guys and they can mentor you or teach you or even as your colleague, as a peer, um, you know, a gentleman who was president of a major league baseball team and um, a guy who ran for governor in his state and multimillionaire real estate developer. And, and so you, you learn when you're a young man, you learn from the older men. And as you get older, you learn from older men still, but also your colleagues who are the kind of men you want to be like. And then when you get to my age, you start looking back and saying, okay, how do I help the young men now? And I think that that's really the way life is supposed to work. Young men should teach or old men should teach the young men. And uh, all along the way, there's always somebody who's behind you in the process who you can always reach back and help and, and give encouragement to and direction to. You know, one of the reasons I started the Sovereign Man movement is because I see that there's a lot of men out there today that are lost. They're not sure what it takes to be a man. And many of these men have not had strong masculine uh, father figures in their lives. And to me, I do what I do because I'm standing for every man realizing that inside of him is a badass and a warrior waiting to get out. And he's just been suppressing that because of the way our society has become so anti-man, so anti-masculine, so anti-manhood. And so what we're doing at the Sovereign Man Movement is we are helping men be proud of being a man again and stepping out into the world, learning what it takes to be an honorable, good man. And this podcast brings on guests like you to share their wisdom with these men, because all throughout history, men have been teaching the next generation of, of, of young men how to become men and imparting in them the necessity of them doing the same thing with the next generation. 
Well, I'll tell you a funny story. Having never had a male role model in my life, my firstborn child was a son. And uh, and I was a pastor for 14 years from 88 until 2002. And I had a guy in my church who was a big construction guy. I mean, big, big dude, high up in a major construction company. And his name was Gene. And Gene's son was about the same age as my son. And they were both about five or six when they went to our church. And Gene was into fishing and hunting and all the sort of manly stuff, right? And of course, I didn't know how to do any of it. I'd never done any of it. So Gene would pick my son up, you know, Saturday mornings at oh, dark 30. And I would get my son up and I'd joke with him. I'd say, it's time for your man lessons from Uncle Gene. And I'd pack him off and Gene would take him out. So, you know, it wasn't necessarily that I had to teach him those things because I'd never learned those things. Um, but I, I made sure that he got uh, exposed to other men, um, men in our church, men in the community, um, you know, men who led, you know, the the uh, Awana groups and, you know, things like that, where he could actually go and learn how to do all those kinds of things. And the the best thing is, is that by the time he was about 12, I paid him to put together everything. So we'd get a new grill and I'd pay him 20 bucks to put it together. New lawnmower, I'd pay him 20 bucks to put everything together. I think he built the entire shelving in our garage system. Your son. When he was 14. My son, when he was 14. He's so more of a man than you were back then, bro. <laughs> he was, it totally was. But I made sure he was a man, not because I could teach him, you know, the, the, the actual skill sets, I teach him more like the values and the morals and, you know, the concepts and those kinds of things, but he learned how to build stuff from somebody else, not from me. And uh, now he has two boys and I look at my grandsons and I think they're going to know how to build a deck. They're going to know how to change the oil. They're going to know how to do those things because my son's going to be able to teach them. I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. So, you know, you wrote a book called the real man handbook. And in there, there were a, a, a whole bunch of principles, I believe 12 of them, on how to be a real man. So I think it'd be valuable for us to go through a few of those principles. What do you think? Sure. What ones do you want to talk about? Well, um, you know what? I don't have the book handy in front of me, but... Um, let's just the, go right to the... Let's go right to what I consider the core of it. Let's and the, re, the reality is, is that we... When I say, you know, he was a real man, People immediately put a picture in their brain and everybody has a different picture. John Wayne. I always right. say John Wayne and my dad and John Wayne. That's for the, we always used to say the Marlboro man, right? Yep. Remember those the Marlboro man ads? He's on a horse. He's got yep. a hat. He's got a cigarette. He's got a lasso, you know, and, but you know what? That's not a real man, you know, because you could dress like that, be a Western cowboy and beat your wife and be out carousing and drinking all night, every night. And that's not a real man. No. Real man doesn't beat his wife. Real man doesn't cheat on his wife. Real man doesn't, you know, carouse every night, uh, use women, steal, lie, cheat, steal, all those kinds of things. And so I think that there's a discrepancy between what we have this image, right? It's either somebody like, uh, you know, like you mentioned, John Wayne or, or Russell Crowe in The Gladiator or something like that. They may be real men. But I don't think that's that the look is what makes a real man. No. Right. You know, you can be five foot tall with a high squeaky voice. And there's some men who are five feet tall with a high squeaky voice. And they are far more manly than somebody who's six foot three with, you know, giant pecs and shoulders and who who doesn't act like a real man. So I think the whole premise of the book 
uh, is really about morals and values. Yep. What are the values that a real man holds? Because just because you might look like the image of what most people consider a real man doesn't mean you're a real man. And so, um, you know, it all starts with integrity. A real man has integrity. A real man operates out of a single set of morals, ethics, and values. They aren't one way this way and then another way with different people. They, they, are, they are who they are in their core, in their values, and it expresses itself regardless of what situation they're in. You know, we've all heard these terms, situational ethics, yep. uh, that, that they're trying to teach in colleges, and they have been for a long time. Well, there's no such thing as situational manhood either. Manhood comes from a core set of values. Um, you know, things like serving your wife. Um I took it from uh, from Zig Ziglar. You know, Zig always used to say, uh, I've been married to the redhead for 47 years and she's never opened a door for herself. Right. You know, he he opened the car door every single time. And so when when Denise and I got married, I told her, I, you're never going to open another car door. And it's funny because. Uh, um, we'll go out for dinner and we'll go to the valet or something. And one of the valets will run up to the door. Now I have a deal with Denise. I'll open her car door. She gives me a peck on the lips before she gets in. So these valets will run up the car door and I'm like, no, 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 no. Because we have a deal. Whoever opens the car, she has to give a kiss to. None of you boys are getting a kiss tonight. And then they go off. And But now these young men see me do that for my wife. Because most, most of the people that are running ballets, they're 25-year-old kids, right? So they're seeing me open that door. They're seeing her give me a kiss. They're seeing me shut the door for her. They're seeing me treat her that way. And, and you need to be able to do that. But you also might need to be able to handle a gun to defend your home. Yep. You know, my, my, my daughter asked me once uh, when she was about eight, she said, Daddy, what would you think if somebody broke into our house? And I said, I would think they chose the wrong house. Because <laughs> I want them to know, I want them to know that daddy's there. Daddy can be protector. Daddy can also be a provider. Daddy can be one who loves and cares for. I think one of the greatest examples to me, and it comes from my book, The Angel Inside, which was my New York Times and Wall Street Journal bestselling book, is the is the uh, King David in the Bible. If you think about King David in the Bible, on one hand, he played the harp. Right. You know, just you can you imagine just playing the harp and you, we all know what harp music sounds like. Right. Doesn't seem like the most manly kind of thing. He also yep. wrote poetry. Yep. But when the entire Israelite army was quaking in their boots because Goliath was there, 14 year old David walked up and said, give me a rock. I'll take care of this guy. Right. And so it's, he I believe that masculinity is not a typical stereotype of masculinity. Mm -hmm. It is, it, it, it can be, you can be both warrior and poet at the same time. And, uh, and in the same body, in the same life, in the same being. And, and I believe that God gives men a, a real um, spectrum uh, of what masculinity really means. It means, yep. you know, means being able to cry. Sometimes men need to cry. You know, like, oh, real men don't cry. Well, so if real men don't cry, then you're really calling God a defective maker, right? Because last time I checked, all men still have tear ducts, 
God wouldn't have given us tear ducts if we weren't supposed to cry. There are some things that are supposed to upset us and and should cause our hearts to ache and our minds to be concerned. Um, We need to be able to to hold a baby and touch it on its nose and and love that baby and and be caring and and protective of that baby. Um, But there's other times we need to go out and, and, let people know who's in charge. And so I I don't like when we take a myopic view of what manhood is, because I think there's a broad spectrum uh, that that God has wired men to be able to do. You know, I like the way you phrase that. There's a broad spectrum of what God has wired men to do, but I think there are some pillars of manhood. Integrity is definitely one of them. You know, being count-onable as a man to the people that you're charged with protecting, like your wife and your kids and your family and your friends. That's important uh, for a man to be able to do. Another thing that's important for a man to be able to do is to be self-sufficient. He needs to be able to pay his bills and take care uh, of business and take care of his family. That's I think that's important. There's far too many men today that don't understand that. Yeah, and, and, and let me jump in. I agree with you 100%. But I also know that a lot of people think that, well, I make $40,000 a year and Bob down the street makes $200,000 a year. He must be more of a man than me. Not true at all. That is not true at all. The more money you make does not make you more of a man because we all know billionaires who do terrible things, right? Yeah. Um, and, and look, if, if you're in certain professions, you're never going to make that kind of money. It has no bearing whatsoever on how you should perceive It's not yourself. the amount of money, but it is that you are doing what you got to do in order to take care of business, take care of your family. Absolutely. Yeah, you're not sitting on the couch and shipping your wife off to go provide no, for them. No, that's what yeah. I'm talking about. Yeah. And, yeah. You, you know, another measure of a man is loyalty. Man's loyal. And there's a lot of men today who just don't understand that, or a lot of males parading around masquerading as men who don't understand that. Loyalty requires selflessness. And most people are inherently selfish. And it's whatever's good for me. Um, And the uh, the first sign of something breaking, I'm out of here. And, uh, And so they're not loyal. And I think that it's important to understand that loyalty is driven by selflessness. Loyalty says, okay, this may not be a great situation that I'm in, and it's tough, but I'm going to stick it out. I'm going to work it out. Uh, And there are times that you have to cut and run, right? You know, there are times you got to tell your business partner, hey, uh, one of us is going to buy the other one out, right? Yeah, that's Um, not about loyalty. Right. That's that's a different issue. If things aren't working, they're not working. But you don't cut and run at the first hard times. Yeah, sticking through it in hard times. Yeah. And and it's about not cutting and running at the first sign of adversity. That's what I'm talking about. Or, Benny, uh, listen, here's, here's, here's something that I've seen happen, okay? There's a lot of dudes, okay, that... Their wives come up to them and say, hey, hey, honey, uh, you take out the garbage. And go, no, I'm not going to take out the garbage. If you want to take out the damn stinking garbage, you take it out yourself. Anything that makes them a man. No, it doesn't. She says, take out the garbage. Get off your butt. Take out the damn garbage. Now, same woman comes to them and goes, you know what? I know you have been friends with your best friend, Billy, since you were like two. But I don't like Billy. And I don't want you to be friends with Billy. What's the first thing they do is they call Billy and go, hey, man, the old lady doesn't like you and I being friends, so I guess we can't be friends. And that is bull crap. That man should have gone to his wife and said, sweetheart, you are the love of my life. You're the greatest thing that's ever happened to me. But Billy is my best friend. I've known him since I was two. 
I ain't dumping Billy. Don't ever ask me to do that again. Because I believe and, and, in loyalty. And a real man never calls his wife his old lady. <laughs> or the or the old not to her face, maybe. Real man me. does not. Real man. I call my I call I, I call Teresa's sweetheart honey baby, but when I want to get her goat, I call her my old lady. <laughs> yeah, I'm your old man and you're my old lady. <laughs> so I so I, I imagine you're really good at ducking. <laughs> Oh man, it's just it's just all in good fun. It's definitely no, not my usual term of uh, of endearment for her. It's usually honey, baby, sweetheart. Yeah, love of my life. But well, you know, you talk about taking out the garbage. I told Denise uh, when we got married and I moved in. Uh, I said, uh, I said, you're not taking the garbage out. It's not your job. It's my job. I'm taking, a couple times she's actually taking the garbage out. I'm like, you did my job. I don't want you to do my job. I'm supposed to take the garbage out. She's like, I took the garbage out long before you got here. Well, there you go. But you know what? It's it's it, that's the sort of thing that I'm talking about. Is that there's a lot of men who don't understand that inside their marriage and relationship, there that she's in charge and because she, she is. And uh, if she wants the house run a certain way, house is going to be run that way. If she wants you to take out the garbage, you're going to take out the garbage. If she wants the living room painted blue with green polka dots, you're going to paint the living room blue with green polka dots because that's what she wants and it's her house and all that. But it also means that when it comes to issues of principle and it comes uh, to things like loyalty, like, you know, not abandoning your best friend that you've known since you were two, that you you, you hold the line because she's going to respect that. She's going to respect a man who can say no to her. In fact, she's testing you to see how loyal you are. And you just failed if you duck Billy because she'll go, oh, my God, if he's going to kick his best friend of the curb, what's he going to do to me? Or if I can tell him what to do and he does it every single time, what kind of backbone does he have? There you go. I think that one of the ways that we can gain authoritative power in our relationship, and I don't mean to dominate, but I mean where we are, we're equal with our wives, we are on equal footing, we're a team, we do things together. I believe that it comes to serving our wives. I don't believe that it's lack of masculinity in caring for and serving our wives. I'll give you an example of a few different things. Um, To start with, every night at about seven o'clock, you know, Denise gets up and she makes the whole bed, right? 4,822 pillows, right? Like a lot of women do, you know, they make the bed and then it's like a mountain of pillows. Well, every night at about seven o'clock, and she's never asked me to do this, I just do it. About seven o'clock, I go in, it's starting to get dark. So I turn on one of the lights in our bedroom. So as we come and go during the evening, you know, to the restroom or whatever, um, then we have light. I also take all the pillows off. I put them on the side and I turn her side of the bed down. And it's a small little thing, but it tells her that I'm thinking about her a couple of hours before we even go to bed. I'm thinking of her. I want it. I want it to be ready for her when, you know, when she's ready to go to bed. And, and uh, you know, I actually I thought the only thing I really need to do is go get a little piece of chocolate to put on her pillow. Every, then it's the real hotel experience. But I think that when you when you know how to open the car door and turn your wife's side of the bed down and those kinds of things, the way they will cherish you and respect you. I don't know if you've read the book, Love and Respect, but it's one of the best books of all time. Oh, you've never read Love and Respect. Oh man, you gotta gotta get him on your your Sovereign Man podcast. Um, So Love and Respect is about how he was a Christian counselor. And one day he read this Bible verse and he said, I read it for about the 300th time in my life. And it said, 
Husbands, love your wives. Wives, respect your husbands. And this guy was a marriage counselor, by the way. This is his background, marriage counselor. And for the 300th time he read it, he actually thought to himself, why does it say something different? It says, husbands, love your wives, but wives, respect your husbands. And he said, why didn't he tell them to love each other or to respect each other? But he chose husband, love your wife, and wife, respect your husband. He did a research project with a thousand men. What would you rather have? Would you rather have your wife love you or respect you? 870 men answered respect. I would rather have my wife's respect than love. But when you ask the same question to a wife, the vast majority say love. So one of the problems is, is that we get into what he calls the crazy cycle. We, she doesn't respect us. She says something snooting. So what do we do? We withdraw. Well, I'm not going to do that for her then. We don't demonstrate love, which causes her to lack even more respect. And now we're in this crazy cycle. Lack of respect creates lack of love, creates lack of respect, creates lack of love. You can turn that cycle around and men, you need to take the lead at it and you need to love your wife. What are the ways that we demonstrate how we love our wife? Well, I think it's in tender, uh, thoughtful, caring kinds of things. Uh, like turning her bed down in, in the evening, uh, opening her car door, even just grabbing a, a post-it note. Uh, grab a post-it note. I, 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 I'll do something like I'll grab a post-it note and I'll, I'll say, you're looking at the most beautiful woman in the world. And I'll put it smack in the middle of, of the mirror above her sink. So she'll come in and she'll she'll, you know, go to me, whatever, washing her face or brushing her teeth. And she sees that note that I wrote for her. You're looking at the most beautiful woman in the world. And she sees her image behind there. Those are the kinds of things when a woman feels loved. She then her natural expression is respect. And then it becomes uh, I think he calls it the energizing cycle or something like that. But it's a and I basically gave you the whole premise of the book. Um <laughs> But I think it's really good. I think it's really good. And frankly, um, I don't think it, I don't think I knew that in my first marriage. I don't think I was very good at that in my first marriage. And I think it contributed greatly to the demise of my first marriage. You know, I think that's true of me in my first marriage as well. Hmm. It was um, it was a marriage in which when I felt disrespected, I withdraw. I get angry. Yeah. Um, heck. I learned something from what you just shared. So thank you. It's Chris. a great book, man. I'm telling you, it's a great book. I'll, uh, I'll look into who's, who's the author. Uh, his last name is Emmerichs. It's like E-M-M-E-R-I-C-H-S or something like that. The other book that I would tell you that is a great book for men is the book Cherish. And, uh, and it's the best marriage book I've ever read. And his premise is, is that we're often told, or we even say in our wedding vows, I promise to love and to cherish you. But then every book and every seminar and every video and every audio is about what it means to love your wife or your husband. Mm -hmm. This, the word we always leave out is cherish. What does it mean to cherish something? Well, let's take a look at um, men. Men, you might be into classic cars, right? Maybe you've got an old 60, you know, 65 Corvette, You've got a, you know, a 67 Camaro, you've got a 68 Mustang or 71 Mach 1 or Shelby or, you know, a Barracuda or all the cars that we used to have in our parking lots when I was in high school. Well, now you've got them in there out in your garage. If somebody came to your house, what would you do? You'd say, 
do you want to come see my cars? And you'd go out there. You might even make them put gloves on. Stay away. I don't want your belt buckle to scratch it. Like, don't touch that. Like, you just esteem and cherish this car, right? But then when it comes to your wife, it's like, ah, the old ball and chain. The old ball and chain. <laughs> the old ball and chain. And, and wives don't feel cherished. And I think a lot of men don't feel cherished either. And um, I, I just think it's a really excellent book on a topic that has I've never seen covered. And Denise and I, we've been together for um, uh, four years now. We've read the book twice together. Uh, we read a chapter at a time, talk about it, you know, how it applies in our life. Um, but uh, cherishing your wife is, is what a man does. He doesn't take her for granted. He doesn't uh, ignore her. He cherishes her and he holds her in high regard and high esteem. Because as the old saying goes, if you won't, somebody will. Amen. Amen. Uh, I think that's good advice. I'm going to go pick up those books. See, I have this uh, capturing device on my phone of all the tasks that I need to do. So I just wrote down, go purchase those books. Yeah, they're it's going to get scheduled. I'm going to go and take that and put it in my schedule. I'm going to do it. That's how when something's important, it, it goes into my capturing device on my phone. Yeah. I think that's awesome, Chris. You know, I've learned a lot just from listening to you because I'm going to implement some of this in, inside my relationship with my lady and make it stronger because she's a pretty terrific lady. And it's important for me to be the best version of myself in that relationship so that Absolutely. I can keep that thing going long and strong, brother. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So, so Chris, I think it's time for you to update the real man handbook. You know what okay. I'm saying? Yes. Yeah. So if you want, I I'll do it with you. I'll come and I'll be your co-writer. You can make me your mule. I'll do all the, I'll, we'll have to talk about it, man. Let's talk about it. I'll, I'll do all the revisions. I'll do all the writing. Just send it on in because I think it's time for us to put something like that out there. I really like that handbook. I, you know, I liked it so much about a hundred copies from you and I've been handing it out to men all over the place. And one of the reasons that I've chosen to do that is because the advice in that book changes men's lives. It changes the trajectory of their relationship to themselves as a powerful masculine man. And to me, that's very important. And, you know, you wrote that book in another chapter in your life. You had another co-author at the time with that book. And I say it's time for you to update the, the book and update the co-author, my brother. We'll have to talk, we'll have to talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> we will talk about it indeed. But I'll tell you, The Real Man Handbook uh, was powerful for me when I read it because it reminded me of really what are the first principles of being a man. And there was many of them that I was implementing very well, but there was a number that I wasn't. And it was an eye opener for me to see that and to be able to, to move forward and begin to implement some of that made my relationship stronger. Mm. And I, I honor you for doing that for men, because we live in a time, my friend, where men need champions for men and you're a champion for men. So God bless you, man, for doing that and being that brother. Thank you. Well, I love what you're doing too. And I love the, the, all the work that you do to help men become better men, better husbands, better dads, better brothers, better sons. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. So let's talk about the American Freedom Tour. I think that's a great way to, to yeah. finish off the podcast. So one of the things that men do is when they see something in society that isn't right, they stand up and they say, it's always right to do what's right. That's a quote from Martin Luther King. It's always right to do what's right. And you saw something was going on in our society that wasn't quite right. And you decided to do 
what's right. So let's talk about it. Tell us how this American Freedom Tour came to be, what the genesis of it was, why you decided now was the time for you to do this very right thing for our world. Well, I'm an author and a speaker. I've written 22 books. I've given 2,500 speeches over the last 33 years and uh, all over the world. And a uh, member of the Motivational Speakers Hall of Fame. I mean, that's what I do. I communicate and I speak and I write books. That's what I do for a living. And I'm also very politically involved. I've been involved in politics for a long time. And uh, it started when one of my best friends decided to run for governor. And uh, and he asked me to be a speech coach. So um, uh, I've been involved in a long time. And you know, there's always been partisan fighting. There's always been people that had different opinions on where things should go and how things should happen. You know, but I believe that everybody used to want to go at least to the same destination. We just disagreed on how to get there. But I think that we have such conflicting worldviews now that we don't even want to go to the same destination anymore. And now we're just fighting over who has the power and the control to decide where we're going to go. And, uh, and as you know, we are hyper-partisan, very polarized. And I see some things that are happening here in America that are straight out of 1984, the book by George Orwell and Animal Farm and some of those books and and, uh, really terrifying things. When you extrapolate some of the things that are happening out, they're terrifying as to what the next step could be. And so I decided to merge my, my interest in politics and my background as a speaker and a conference promoter. And uh, I went out and I hired some very well-known uh, conservative speakers. Uh, and I asked them to join me in Jacksonville, Florida on October 8th and 9th uh, of 2021. If anybody's interested, you can go to AmericanFreedomTour.com. And um, and uh, I decided to bring them in. And we're going to spend two full days talking about what it means to be pro-America, pro-freedom, pro-family, pro-faith, pro-capitalism, all the things that have made America great. And um, and so I, I just, we're, we're putting it on. We've got some great speakers. Uh, we we got Donald Trump Jr. coming in. Uh, we've got Kaylee McEnany, the former White her. House press secretary. Uh, awesome. You know, we had, our, we had our conference call with her the other day. And I got to tell you, she is exactly what you would think she would be. Just salt of the earth, kind, fun, loving gal. Just really that. super. Just exactly what you talking to her felt like I'd known her for 30 years because we've seen her on television and, and such. Uh, Dan Bongino, who uh, I think too. has the biggest uh, podcast in conservatism now. Uh, Dinesh D'Souza, the legendary uh, movie filmmaker, documentary maker. Uh, if you haven't watched Dinesh's movies, you got to go watch all four of them and you'll give you a great understanding as to what's happening. Uh, And then uh, Sheriff David Clark, the former sheriff of uh, Milwaukee, amazing guy, African-American guy, that big old old cowboy hat, man. Yeah, big old cowboy hat. And uh, nobody you'd want to mess with, man. He looks like a rough, tough badass. No, I I had uh, I had my call with him today, actually, him and his uh, and his handler. And um, and they were great. But he he was exactly like you would think he would be, too. (laughs) He was the sheriff. You know, I, I didn't call him David. I called him sheriff. Sheriff Clark, uh, sir. <laughs> yes, sir. Right. But um, no, it's going to be great. We've got some other great speakers. Uh, Waldo Waldman is a, a friend of mine who uh, graduated the U.S. Air Force Academy, flew 80 missions in Bosnia, Herzegovina, Serbia. Um, and uh, we're uh, Dr. or not Dr. Rabbi uh, Daniel Lappin will be there. I don't know if you know Rabbi Lappin. Uh, very good on the financial side. 
um, very strong conservative. So we are super excited about it. And if anybody's interested, we have other tour dates uh, coming up and we plan on doing 30 next year. So all you have to do is just go to AmericanFreedomTour.com. I'll tell you why I like the American Freedom Tour is because it's all about celebrating the values that made America great and frankly, are universal human values, values that beat inside the breast of every human being, the desire to live and breathe free air, the desire to be able to choose the sort of life that they want to lead. And I think that's what where men line up. Men have always lined up as self-sufficient beings who desire to be free and desire to live free and to help other people be free. And yeah. now there's some men that aren't that way. Obviously, I'm speaking in broad generalities, but that's a big reason why real masculine men tend to be pro-freedom, pro-liberty. And they don't tend to be anti-freedom, authoritarian, and all about you know crushing people under their heels. Yeah, nobody, nobody as a kid grows up and says, I want somebody to tell me when I can put my mask on and take it off. I want somebody to tell me when I can do this and when I can do that or when I can go on vacation or what job I can have. Or, you know, real men don't think that way. They no, think they I'm an autonomous. I love the name of your, of your sovereign. sovereign. You're a sovereign man. You are, you are the owner and you are sovereign. You are independent. Now, there is aspects in which real men are also interdependent, but we're never dependent. We're interdependent and we're independent. We own and control our space, but there are times we partner with others and we become interdependent, but we never become dependent uh, on other people. Amen. Super, super uh, true. Super well said. I'm excited about the American Freedom Tour. I'm in Canada right now. Coming down to the U.S. at the moment is problematic for me. So I'm, I'm going to miss this one. But we're working toward being able to attend some would of the you, future dates. Would you call your prime minister man or real man or not real man? Not real man. He's a soy <laughs> boy. He's a soy boy. Listen, he's a tyrant he's a and a dictator. I mean, he said he admired boy. China's basic dictatorship and he liked their system of social scoring. I, that tells you everything you need to know about this fellow. I know. I look around the world and I look at Canada and Australia and go, what happened? You guys went from zero to tyranny in about a second and a half. We sure did. We sure did. Uh, but listen, that's a whole topic for another podcast, we'll my friends. So right Thanks now, for me on. yeah, right now, I really appreciate you coming today. We're definitely going to have you back. We're going to expand on some of these topics more deeply and uh, Chris, have a fantastic time at the American Freedom Tour. We're going to put that in the show notes. And uh, I know some of the men listening to the show are going to be interested in checking it out. And Fly down so and visit some us. of the women. We've got women listeners to the show. It's a beautiful thing. Fly down and visit us in Jacksonville. Uh, you know what? I'm sure they're going to do it. And I'm looking forward to being able to cross the border and come to one of the events. It's going to be great. Thanks, buddy. Thanks. Take care. Bye-bye. You too, man. Thank you for listening to the Sovereign Man Podcast. If you're ready to take charge of your life and become the man you've always wanted to be, we invite you to join the movement at SovereignMan.ca.